0: fire raging in its iron heart huge numbers of people gathered to watch the miracle the first train pulled into what was then the obscure dust blown village of zahedan in february 1919 the camel caravans from nushki to sistan took two months now on iron rails the journey from quetta to southeastern iran could be made in just two days inside months a gurdwara and a Punjabi language school sprung up in Zahidan, serving the truck drivers who ferried cargo to cities like Meshad. The journey took six weeks by camel, but just four days when it was powered by the strong arms of the six at the steering wheel. The interior Balochistan desert had suddenly blossomed into a route for trade. Historian Mikiya Koyagi records part of the Imperial British effort to contain the southward push of the Soviet Union. Balochistan, though, also became a site for the contesting claims of empires and nation-states, as well as of borders that cut through the homelands and livelihoods of the region's fiercely independent desert tribes. Earlier this week, Iran conducted airstrikes on what it claims to be the basis of the jihadist group Jaish-al-Adal inside Pakistan just days after similar operations in Syria and Iraq. The Pakistan Foreign Office said the attacks killed two children, but was silent on its own failure to act against the Jaish bases from where the recent terrorist attacks that claimed 94 lives in the Iranian city of Kerman were launched. Iran's intelligence services have long been convinced, journalist Ziaur Rahman writes, that Islamabad and the Inter-Services Intelligence Directorate, or ISI, are sponsoring Balot Jihadist groups, both to direct their energies away from Pakistan itself and to please its Western and Saudi Arabian patrons. The cross-border airstrikes aren't the first. Iran issued warnings to Pakistan in 2019 and sent troops across the border in 2014. But as these two blocks, Iranian-led and the Western-led blocks, clash from Lebanon to Yemen, a new front could be opening up, this one in South Asia. Allah, a Baloch saying goes, when making the world used all the water and the grass and flowers and trees to make other countries beautiful. And when he had used all these things and had nothing left but a heap of earth, he threw that down and made Balochistan. This poor lump of earth, though, is also one of enormous significance to the two countries across which it sprawls and their neighbors. The closure of the Quetta zahedan railway line in 1931, a response to new laws by King Reza Shah, mandating that exports to Iran from British India be matched by equivalent exports, transformed the region's economic landscape. As organized trade collapsed, commerce fell into the hands of powerful tribes like the Regi, which began trafficking commodities like grain and sugar into Iran. Silk and silver flowed the other way into British India. The two governments tried to stamp out trafficking and impose their order but it led to frequent tribal rebellions, Koyagi writes. Living with their herds in the areas of Ladgash in what was then Indian Balochistan, as well as ko taftan and Mirjave in Iran, the Regi had served as mercenary soldiers for the British in the First World War and before. In return for protecting the railway and battling bandits, Regi chiefs were given weapons and ammunition as well as imperial cash grounds. According to Koyagi, even as the British ended their occupation of Iranian Balochistan in 1924, tribal raiding and rebellion erupted. Though powerful Regi leaders like Idu Khan set about building a relationship with their new Iranian masters, these kinds of tribal chiefs were viewed with suspicion by both Tehran and rival tribal chieftains. Idhu Khan used to complain all the time that he was trusted by nobody. The Iranian state's efforts at modernization and westernization, which included insisting that conscripts clip their beards and wear uniforms, provoked baloch resentment. The tribes also resisted mandatory Western dress, disarmament, and education at new national schools where their children were taught Persian history and language. The Baloch wanted Sunni school teachers, not Shias sent from Tehran. Expulsion of the tribes from their homelands and large scale violence were often the response. In some cases, the Baloch fled Iran for greener pastures. Thousands of families, for example, left for the Soviet Union in the 1920s after being given free land in Turkmenistan. Many others resettled in Afghanistan. The Regis, interestingly, also asserted a claim to British citizenship based on their service to the empire. But this was eventually denied, writes Koyagi. Across the border in what is now Pakistan, political scientist Alex Vantaka records, Baloch tribes sought autonomy as the British prepared to withdraw. The grievances exploded in Pakistan from the moment of independence itself the three or four princely states acceded to the new country. The Sons of the Khan of Kalat waged war until 1950. Nawab noroz Khan began a new round of insurgency in 1958 and fresh fighting broke out in the 1960s and even more intensely in 1973-1977. Iran, which had supported Islamabad in its war with India in 1971, worried that the collapse of Pakistan would open the door for its own Baloch people to rebel. Thus, it responded to these events by deepening repression. Following Pakistan's defeat in 1971, however, Tehran-Islamabad relations deteriorated and slowly degenerated totally after the Iranian Revolution in 1979. The British railway line across the border briefly reopened after independence and a train used to run twice a month, carrying mail and people. But it shut down in the 1990s, and despite occasional talks of reopening it, the Iron Road lies dead. Early in 2005, Pakistan's former military ruler, General Parvez Musharraf, asserted that the army officer accused of raping an ethnic Baloch woman was, I quote, 100% innocent. The general's comments catalyzed Baloch rage over the growing tide of ethnic Punjabi business people and contractors who had settled in the region, as well as the lack of opportunities for a new generation of educated Baloch youth. Led by Bugti chieftain Nawab Akbar Khan Bugti, the sixth Baloch insurgency began, ending in a brutal showdown with the military regime. The effects of Musharraf's efforts to cultivate jihadists to contain the nationalists was soon felt. In December 2005, a bomb exploded near a car transporting then-President of Iran, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. Then in February 2007, a bus transporting soldiers from Iran's Revolutionary Guard was targeted in an ambush, killing 11, led by Abdul-Malek Regi yes, a member of the very Regi tribe we discussed earlier, the group responsible for these attacks called Jandulla was the product of decades of discrimination against the Baloch people in Iran. I quote, Regi's foot soldiers adopted Sunni jihadist rallying cries over long-established Baloch nationalist slogans, Vantaka rights, and often clung on to al-Qaeda-type black flags over the leftist insignia of yesteryear. Inside Pakistan, meanwhile, the insurgency began to be taken out of the hands of tribal chieftains by the Baloch-educated middle class who had emerged from left-wing study circles centered on one-time insurgent Khairbaxt Marri. Encouraged by General Musharraf, the Islamist coalition rose to power in Balochistan in the 2002 elections. Iranian Islamist groups from Balochistan were given shelter and training by jihadists fighting in Afghanistan and Pakistan. Musharraf's action further alienated the young nationalists in Balochistan and, of course, would later backfire spectacularly when Baloch jihadists themselves started striking at the Pakistani state. The rise of the Islamic State was key to the consolidation of Iranian jihadist forces. According to the scholar Antonio Guistosi, the Islamic State reached out to Iranian Baloch groups around 2014 through its key Afghan commander, Abdul Rauf Khadim. In a series of meetings organized in Pakistan in 2015, Guistosi writes, the Harkat-e-Ansar-e-Iran and Jaish-e-Adal merged into the Islamic State. Islamic State negotiators also reached out to narcotics traffickers like the infamous Hassan Khan, hoping to develop their ability to transport arms into Iran. But according to Guistosi, no deal could be made since Khan declined to end his involvement in heroin smuggling, no matter how much cash was put on the table. Iran and Pakistan today have no interest in entering into a conventional conflict. But the airstrikes show frustration is mounting in Tehran. The ability of Balot jihadists To strike in Iran's major cities undermines the regime's legitimacy and that at a time when it is already under pressure from democratic movements like the women's movement. Tehran itself routinely uses clients in Lebanon, Yemen and Iraq to attack its adversaries. To its size, Pakistan is being used as a cat's paw by the West to stage similar proxy strikes through the medium of the Islamic State. Is that true? Maybe. We don't really know. Even though Balochistan appears remote and poor though, its significance to both Iran and Pakistan is enormous. In addition to the region's giant hydrocarbon and mineral reserves, it is home to Iran's only oceanic port at Zahedan, while Pakistan's Gwadar port is the closest maritime lifeline for landlocked Afghanistan and some Central Asian countries. Those equities mean proxy warfare of the Middle East is at real risk of being dragged into South Asia. As Pakistan faces up to multiple internal crises, from looming elections, a crippled economy, and terrorist violence, it will now have to contend with a battle with its volatile Western neighbor. I'm Tareen Swami and I'm contributing editor to The Print.